and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Ingle. And I'm Tasha Robinson. And Minute 99 begins with Hudson saying 17 meters and ends with Hudson saying, oh my god. Yeah, and that's a Next Picture Show co-host Tasha Robinson back with us again today. Thanks for coming back for day four, Tasha. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can't leave now. We're surrounded by aliens. Yeah, and I, and again, I have you barricaded in and the door welded shut. So you're stuck. Uh, hopefully there's nothing in the ceiling or under the floor or whatever. Spoiler. Anyway. What's the likelihood of that? <laughs> Wait, what was that? Uh, that was our other guest. Uh, that oh. is Matthew Peterson. He is a contributing editor at Majorspoilers.com. He's the mind behind Retro Review, where the ghosts of comics past come back to life. And he's the author of the Ten Things series, which collects bits and bobs of pop culture with particular and varied themes. Mm-hmm. I am also a uh, pop culture blowhard of some note, but she refused to say that, so I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I... I leave it to other people to call themselves blowhards, at least, you know, when they're around. I'll call you a blowhard when you're not looking. Yeah, I know. I've, I've seen your Twitter. Thank you. Uh, thanks for coming on the show, and, and feel free to blow as hard as you want on Alien Oh, God, Minute. don't we get him welcome, started. We welcome that here on Alien Minute. <laughs> I've had many blowhards on the show. Let's see if you can blow harder. <laughs> well, and if you look on the internet and you look at things that people have said about me, it blows is probably somewhere in the top ten, so... <laughs> all right. Well, our, I guess we can jump right into the minute here. So we were we're right in the middle of a countdown, right? We had uh, we ended the last minute with the number eighteen, and we begin the this minute with the number seventeen with the added uh, meters at the end. So we know what the numbers are indicating now is uh, distance uh, met, using the metric system. Uh, so yeah, we're getting uh, these aliens are getting closer, at least according to the tracker, right? Yeah, this minute is pretty much just uh, like countdown and yelling. Countdown to the welding being finished. Countdown to the aliens getting closer. Countdown to the moment where all the action happens. Um, there's a lot of physical movement as uh, people like back up and, and come together. But <laughs> mostly it's just yelling. There's a lot of numbers yelling. Yeah. Yeah, we could we can leave it to Hudson to, to not like calmly uh, say the distance. He's got to be panicky about it. Eighteen seventeen, man. Yeah, something's going on, man. I don't know what it is, but it actually helps to me to build that tension because it starts with the ping, ping, ping that sets my teeth on edge and it, it it unnerves me. And as we go through it, that ping never stops. And Bill Paxton, God love him, Bill Paxton just ha ha ha. Everything about him is just right on the edge of losing his chiz entirely, and just barely holding it together and it really helps to build the tension just a little bit of constructive criticism here matthew you're uh, bill paxton sounds dangerously close to don knots oh uh, i don't know if you want to like ramp it up just a little, <laughs> a little. <laughs> andy andy it's a bug hunt man it's a bug hunt uh, yeah. Well, if you're gonna know. go hey if you're gonna own the don knots thing that's perfectly fine i just want to make sure you know is? that <laughs> That's inside the room. <laughs> this can't be right. I don't know. This is starting to send a little Hanna Barbara to me. Like I'm, I'm seeing really yeah. crude animation with like three frames per per second here. But uh, like I think he, we we talked in an earlier episode about how uh, Bill Paxton manages to get a, like a little wine into everything he says, and mm-hmm. I, I think I think Matthew's got that pinned down. Yeah. Well, and I mean that's exactly what he sounds like in my head. Yeah. <laughs> It's like somebody told him, your character is scared, Bill. 
Stanislavski this into the ground. Your character is scared, and every frame of him is just like, what are we going to do? I love it. It's wonderful. It's one of the, it's that defining moment of his character in a lot of ways. And it does ratchet up the tension in this minute because as it, as it goes on, you know, they keep saying, well, they can't be because six feet away, six meters away, they're going to be right inside the room. They're here, you guys. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? It, it really helps to me. It's something that, you know, I laugh at it and you laugh at me doing it, but when you're watching it in the film, it's pretty effective to drag that tension just a little more, just to give it a little more ratchet on the side. I think it's also important to have that uh, that level of fear because uh, so many of these characters are are dialed down and grim. Like uh, Vasquez and uh, and Ripley and Hicks are all kind of you know grin and bear it like tough guys who set their jaws and deal with what needs to be done. And you can see they're they're unnerved in this minute, but you know nobody's nobody's freaking out quite like uh, Hudson is. Well, they're all they're all trying to work it out, right? They're 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 problem solvers. You know, they're not going to panic. They're going to try to figure out what's happening here, and it's a mystery at this point still. And and so we get Ripley audibly trying to figure it out. You know, she, we talked about this a little bit in the last minute that she starts to try to figure out what it is they missed. Is it something under the floor? Of course, and, and we as we mentioned yesterday, she talks completely around the idea of the ceiling. Like she talks about everything except the ceiling, mm-hmm. and then we get that moment where where she does realize, you know, uh, uh, that it's in the ceiling. Or is that the next minute? I feel like I'm screwing up now. Well, she does look up. One of one of the last things here is her looking up and realizing what's going on. Just the slow looking up as the ping, ping, ping goes on. So the very end of this right, minute right. is that moment. And Ripley is not at all afraid she is showing no fear at all she's almost preoccupied throughout this to where it it doesn't feel like ripley thinks she's in danger it feels like she's trying to figure out their strategy she's trying to outthink the aliens rather than worried about the fact that you know they're going to come in and breathe on her face and rip off everybody's skulls and wear them for hats so having that scary that scary scary bill paxton going oh my god really does offset her because she is not frightened at all or at least she doesn't come across as frightened at all she's got that i'm sigourney weaver and i'm i'm a beautiful etruscan goddess kind of thing going on so you know skulls make really bad hats for giger aliens just because uh, human skulls are so small and giger alien heads are so big well they, they put you, them right like, on the it's like those little fascinator hats that perch on the sides of women's heads right it's they put them just right on the tip of that back crown part you put them right up a little bit of glue, like at a BC in Oz on, on HBO. Oh. Oh. Yeah, just like that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, and then I, you I, just have the aliens asking each other, how do, how do you get your skull to stay on, man? <laughs> this is queuing uh, about 50 different people to post that comic, that one comic about how aliens wear hats that I've seen about a zillion times since I started hosting this show. <laughs> so we all uh, look for that to, uh, today, everyone on Facebook. I'm sure we'll see that there. Some people think they elongate the hat. Some think they put it on the back. Some think they put it on the front. We'll just see. Uh, a human skull is not an option, though, as far as the hats are concerned. So that complicates things because they don't really stretch out well. Yeah, the uh, the whole aliens versus predator thing comes down in a lot of ways to 
to style and uh, uh, like a lot of other storytelling things. But really the, the question is like predators take human skulls and just make big piles of them. Aliens mm-hmm. use them as hats. Exactly. That's true. That's and then predators use alien skulls as trophies. Uh, as we learned in Predator 2. So it comes full circle. They're also it's a good. symbiont circle. Good for use as like a kayak or. Oh, uh, an alien skull? <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. You could, you Both know, sit in it and you just. You just paint them red. Yeah. A sled. <laughs> but, yeah. Matthew does make a good point. He he's right. I just I scrolled through the minute really quickly, and and he's right. It is right at the end of this that uh, that Sigourney Weaver lo- does the slow look up. I disagree that she's that she's not scared. Like I think she's scared, but the look on her face is just this sort of mesmerized. Oh, it's a eureka moment. What I love is that Cameron takes the time for realization across her face, and then the slow look up, and then there's like. A, a quarter second beat and then everybody else looks up it's like they're all they're all in a panic state so of course they at this point they all look to their de facto leader ripley uh rather than their actual leader and because they're all watching her in this moment they all get the signal that oh shit we forgot about the ceiling mm-hmm. yeah. And it's very, like, her performance indicates heavily, right? Like, so sometimes that can be a little obnoxious when you're watching it. You're like, why is she being so slow about looking up? It's, like, so long. But it's perfect because we want to stretch the moment. Like you're saying, Tasha, like, we want to stretch the moment of realization for everyone in the scene. And then we want it to hit us. We don't want to, like, jump right into that and panic in the realization. We want it to sit in a moment of suspense. So it's like, wait a second. It could have been an easy choice to just have her look up and then they drop to the ceiling. That feels very 2017. Like if someone were to make this movie today, she would realize it, look up, everything would drop to the ceiling. We wouldn't get that moment of suspense. So I like it, even though when you're watching that moment isolated, you're like, who looks up that slowly when they realize something? It's crazy. But um, I think this is a, such a great moment. Perfect building to this uh, to the suspense and then the big action we're going to get. But we're going to get yet another uh, break, right, uh, coming up in the next minute uh, before the real shit hits the fan. Well, it's Cameron doing his loud, quiet, loud thing. I mean, he's he's like a 90s band in that regard. He's got this pattern of these very quiet moments that kind of like help intersect and help kind of dial back and reset your expectations just before like the big explosions, the big fireworks go off. The, the thing, though, that when you're looking at the, you said the loud, the quiet, the loud, that's something that comes up over and over and over in all of Cameron's movies, even if you go back to like, I don't know, uh, Piranha 2. But what I really, what I really like about this, just this sequence, is how well it takes all of that and it merges it into just building the tension for me as, as, you know, someone watching this. It just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And then you have that moment of, wah! And then you have something that keeps going. And you feel like it can't build anymore. It can't, you know, go back down, but it does. And then it comes back up again. And then, of course, we have the slow moment at the end that is just so beautiful, which leads up to the next minute where it starts with the stupidest moment, stupidest moment ever. I hate this guy. I hate him and I hate him. You hate his face, and you I really do. think we're going to lose it. But we'll we'll get to that on that moment. That's yeah, later. I the the build on this is great, and one of the things that makes it so great for me is that like one of my all time favorite aliens minutes. An awful lot of my favorite aliens moments are in these minutes, and that minute where where Hicks says it's in the room, it's inside the room, 
or maybe it's uh actually maybe it's uh ripley that says that but the line of you know we we've been building up to this it's like so the, it's a countdown you know it's like a bomb countdown uh, which mm-hmm. happens in a billion movies you know 10 9 8 and it, then <laughs> it's like you get to zero and you're expecting an earth-shattering kaboom and it just keeps counting down into negatives and you've got yes. james bond standing there with his clippers going that's that's, that's not, not right. how bombs work this doesn't right. make and, any sense and it both undermines that setup and makes it so much stronger because the thing that we thought was going to be the buildup that thing is not there yet so clearly something else is happening to where our attention is in the wrong place which is why that last moment where she does that really cool moment of what's what the oh and the slowly dawning realization works so well because we are expecting something to happen and when it doesn't happen there's just this moment of silence kind of like real life where you're like i don't know what to do now and then ripley actually figures out what's going on and everyone else slowly comes with her it's really neat and it kind of it centers her as just as you said earlier the real leader of this group one of the other things that uh, gives us attention here i I commented in the last minute how it doesn't phase newt at all to see a bunch of adults screaming in front of her about how one of them tried to impregnate her with an alien murder everybody else in the room and now they're going to murder him like he she does not bat an eye but here she's like yanking on ripley and saying we gotta go we gotta go let's go come on and there's just like uh, as the as the next couple of minutes come up newt kind of becomes a a group leader of in her own right which is interesting since we're talking about like all power shifting to ripley you have a moment where power shifts shifts to newt and that starts here in this minute where everybody else is trying to figure out what's going on newt doesn't care what's going on newt does not care whether they're in the ceiling or in the floor or they're magically invisible she just she sees the writing on the wall and she's like we got a book Right. It's that instinctive, it's time to run. That is what she knows. And nobody seems to be listening to her, which, you know, kind of makes sense. She's a child. But then it it really does give that moment a little bit more tension on on almost that primal level of the kid knows what's going on, guys. Why aren't we listening to the kid? Why are we listening to Bill whining? What's going on? Oh, yeah. And John, you pointed out earlier that... uh... Ripley does not ever turn to Newt and say it's going to be okay or everything is fine or we've got this under control and here she doesn't she doesn't respond to Newt at all she doesn't try to tell her that things are okay or under control because they're not but she also does just doesn't respond to her like even slightly which I think is interesting yeah I think she's a little late in her response I think she she does respond to Newt later and in the next minute when we get the when she finally finally calls for everyone to go to go back to their uh, uh, fallback position that's her delayed response to newt i think she kind of didn't give newt enough credit when she was telling her let's go right now um and and maybe it was because she was too busy trying to figure everything out she's too busy trying to suss out the situation because uh you know in her mind something's going on here we got to figure out what it is to know what we're going to do. And you're right, Tasha. Newt just has it figured out on an instinctive level. It's like, no, we don't. We just need to leave. And we we were saying that in the last minute, too. Like, why didn't they just go back to the fallback position in the first place? So we're definitely getting – we're kind of getting two things here, too. Uh, we, we talked about, you know, Hudson early in the minute. 
in how he's you know always got that wine and he's always like man what's going on man uh it's and, a bug hunt man it's a bug hunt <laughs> exactly and it's sort of you know we've we've said a few times that he's sort of the lambert of this movie where in alien we had lambert who was the most afraid person on the nostromo and uh a lot of people dismiss her but in the end you realize shit we should have listened to her she's the one that was like let's get let's not be on this planet surface let's not go into this derelict ship let's just get the hell out of here now and yeah in the end that would have been better for everyone right so in this case hudson now he doesn't really express enough like particulars like lambert did like let's get out of here he's just panicky but also he is the most scared person and maybe he's right to be panicked and then we have this double kind of thing, this double Lambert kind of thing, because uh, Newt is just a child, but she's also the person you should be listening to. You should be paying attention. She's been through this before. She's probably been in a room that was barricaded that got attacked before. So maybe you ought to think about what she's telling you. But the adults are too busy uh, uh, intellectualizing the situation and trying to figure out, wait, so this doesn't make it. sense. What's going on? Yep. They're trying to control it and they don't have any control over the situation. So it's hubris. My friends and I often talk about the, uh, the jig is up sense and how more movie villains in particular need the jig is up sense. We always love it when there's a moment in a movie where the villain realizes that people have twigged to what's going on and just books it out, books it out of there, gets a head start. Most villains are going to stand their ground and fight because that's how you get a big, uh, you know, a big climactic standoff scene. But every now and then you get one, especially in something like uh, serialized. TV where it's important to live to fight another day every now and then you get a, a moment where the villain's like well that didn't work time to get out of here and the the good guys in this case do not have a jig is up sense they do not realize it's time to get out of here despite the fact that Newt is standing there saying it's time to get out of here yeah there's there's something that I run into and I believe that someone on the internet has labeled it wrong genre savvy and I think that a lot of the, you know, Ripley especially, but several of the other Marines are, are responding to this situation, believing that they're in an action movie and they're the heroes. But what they're actually in is, you know, a haunted house horror type movie and they are the victims of it. And as such, their responses, with the exception of, you know, Bill Paxton, who's terrified right on schedule, they're responding in ways that almost don't make sense with what we know as watchers of the film. It's like they're expecting to have a different response. They're expecting to have a big firefight where they come out successful and dun da da and have their, their big moment, but instead they're about to be, you know, chopped up and eaten and worn as hats. <laughs> That's a really good point. I, I Years ago, I started referring to this kind of movie as cast attrition thrillers. Uh, <laughs> just any movie that's fundamentally about a large group of people being whittled down one by one. Like that is the entire structure and mechanic of the movie. And yeah, they don't realize that that's what they're in. Yeah. Ten Indians. It's, it's an Agatha Christie story is what it is. Oh, that's a really good point, because we started this week talking about how the moment where Ripley lays out Burke's plot for everyone, gets everybody in the room and says, here's what he was planning to do, was an Agatha Christie moment, you know, an Agatha Christie mystery solve moment. So here we have the Agatha Christie, 10 little Indians, people being uh, disappeared one by one minute. And one of them is always really, really scared. That's true. All right. Well, do you guys have anything else for this minute? Um, I guess the only other thing for me is just to point out that, uh, like this minute starts with a close up on the, uh, the movement scanner, but then the shot that comes immediately after that with, 
Hicks and uh, Ripley and Newt all side by side. It's just such a beautiful shot. You know, we, we've got the, the blood red, everything is in emergency mode lighting mixed with the like the cool blue. Things are uh, murky and dim lighting. And it's just it's beautifully composed. But just the God, the lighting is so crisp. I love it so much. And it really shows off the set in a way that in, you know, in retrospect, in hindsight, knowing what comes next kind of does give us that visual cue of, hey, um, guys, if you look up, there's clearly a ceiling and something above it. We're seeing lighting. We're seeing indications that there is an elevated ceiling with a section above it, but no one is looking up, but you see it clearly in that shot. It is there so that when Ripley has her revelation near the end of this minute, it's all set up. It's it's visually shown to us at the beginning, and then slowly we come around to it. When she realizes it, it's like, yes, they showed us that visually. They gave us that clue at the very beginning of this minute that something could be coming from above because there's something above that ceiling, you guys. John, how much have you guys talked about uh, Adrian Biddle, the cinematographer, um, up up until now? We, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Todd Norris, who's a cinematographer, on the show, and that was where we did a lot of uh, heavy discussion about him. Uh, so we have talked about him quite a bit, mostly uh, condensed down into that one week that Todd was on. But uh, did you have something other to add about well, him? I don't want to be redundant. I just I'm like looking through his credits and seeing that he's responsible. Like this was this was his first DP job, apparently, and then he went on to do things like Princess Bride and uh, Neil Jordan's The Butcher Boy, which is a spectacular looking movie that also makes really strong use of color. Event Horizon, which is another creepy science yes. fiction movie that really Event uses Horizon color. draws a lot on this one in terms of just the use of the color and the use of the spaces yes i i just recently rewatched thelma and louise and he did that one as well and boy he nailed that um what i usually think of more of a tony scott look uh for that movie but he nailed it like that hazy uh light uh, 80s, streaming 90s. through a venetian blind kind of orange universe yeah uh, which being uh, being my age, maybe that that was when I was coming of age in as a, as a cinephile, so to speak, as the late '80s, early '90s. I love it. That that makes me feel right at home. I love that look, but it wasn't his look necessarily, and he nailed it anyway. It seemed as though Ridley Scott was kind of channeling his brother there a little mm, bit yeah. on that movie. Um, not that they both didn't kind of come up through the same school of of. Um, aesthetic you know the, um all the the tv commercials and you know of course adrian biddle that's where he came from was from ridley scott's uh uh he was dp a lot on commercials and uh then focus puller on alien so when this came around what we talked about was uh, it was a gentleman by the name of dick bush who was the uh, cinematographer on this movie initially and was one of the victims the uh uh, you know, victims of, of relentless sort of purge name of the crew. <laughs> yes, that of course, and uh, we were unfortunately a little bit guilty of that too. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, he was he was fired from from this or, or dismissed himself. However, it really went down due to the you know the butting of heads between the British crew and and the Canadian uh, you know, work ethic, I guess, of James Cameron. Those didn't go hand in hand, so there was a revolt of sorts, and he was one of the people that left. Uh, but he was also apparently fired. We, we talked about the fact that he was also fired from uh, William Friedkin's Sorcerer, which is also another really amazing-looking movie oh, wow. that he apparently began and did not finish. So uh, he's got this, this – Dick Bush has this track record of not being there for uh, the, the biggest parts of, of these classic films. But uh, Adrian Biddle, once he did Aliens, uh, he, he hit the ground running and, and became a, a featured 
director of photography where he seemed to have been happy uh, just doing the commercials for so long. So yeah, he ended up having a great career until his passing. Oh, that was really interesting. Before we jump off uh, Adrian Biddle, I just want to point out that he also was the DP on Reign of Fire, the uh, the Dragons in mm-hmm. England movie, which was just so totally crapped upon in its time. But uh, <laughs> I watched it for the first time relatively recently. First of all, it makes a great drinking game. It is a fabulous drinking movie. And second of all, <laughs> it's it's really pretty. It's really visually striking because virtually the whole thing takes place in darkness lit by fire which the dragons are constantly producing and uh like visually it uses a lot of the same aesthetic that we're seeing here in terms of blues and blacks uh coming up against like fiery oranges and reds is that the one with matthew mcconaughey and batman <laughs> yep. it's all that one all the time yep <laughs> yeah and then like leonidas is in it briefly for a while it's uh yeah i, I remember that one and all i remember about it are just the sweeping vistas and, you know, here's some dragons breathing flame. And also these poor schmucks are running around and butting heads about something, but that's not interesting at all. So literally the visuals are the only thing that I remember about that movie other than, you know, all right, all right, all right, and Batman. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm in the same boat. I can remember images from that movie, but damned if I remember any scenes. Right. So, uh, yeah, so uh, I'm in the same boat. But, yeah, uh, Adrian Biddle, Pretty, pretty good uh, cinematographer for sure. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, if that's going to do it, uh, Matthew, you want to tell everyone out there where they can find you online? Well, I don't want them to find me, but you know, <laughs> they can communicate with me. They can, they can, we can share feedback and interface in a meaningful capacity. Uh, you can always look at matrispoilers.com. We have a whole rash of podcasts. I'll be writing all sorts of entertaining things. If you wanted to look for me on social media at Mighty King Cobra on the Twitter, uh, I do foolish things every day to entertain myself at lunch, including, as Tasha mentioned earlier, my, my daily 10 things, which can also be found at Major Spoilers. Which, my God, does he find some obscure and amazing things for that list. I, I really recommend people uh, go find him and give him top 10 uh, thing ideas because he will be amazed yeah. at the results. I've done it. I love I love it when people give me something and they're like, oh, here's something impossible. And I'm like, oh, you want to play for real, huh, Seymour? And you get that moment of, you. It's, it's a challenge, but it's also wonderful because when we're done, people are like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but that was cool. He takes challenge as well. I do. All right. Tasha, do you want to tell everyone once again where they can find you online? Sure. You can find my editing and writing at TheVerge.com, where I'm the film and TV editor. You can find me on Twitter at Tasha Robinson, and you can listen to me talk about past and present movies uh, with a team of my coworkers at, at the Next Picture Show podcast. All right, and you can find us at AlienMinute.com on iTunes. Uh, just look for Alien Minute there. Uh, subscribe to us and give us a five-star review if you wish. Uh, that would be very helpful. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram at Alien Minute Podcast and Twitter at Alien Minute Pod. All right, well, that's going to do it for Minute 99. We'll see you tomorrow for Minute 100.